My right hand has spanned the heavens. Uh, many times you will see in Scripture, in Isaiah and Jeremiah especially, that he has stretched out the heavens. This word for spanned means to stretch out or to train up. He has trained up the heavens. In other words, the heavens are not static. He didn't create everything full blown. He has allowed it to grow, to be trained up, to be stretched out. In 1620, uh, not 1617, uh, uh, some Hebrew scholars were um, retranslating uh, the Old Testament. And when they came to this word, um, R-A-Q-U-I-A, which means expanse or firmament, here's how they explained what it meant. 1762. This word, R-A-Q-U-I-A, express, is, is expressing motion of different parts of the same thing at the same time, one part one way and the other part the other way with force. Now what does that have to do with what we're talking about here? When God spoke everything into existence, the scientists are finding that there is uniformity throughout the universe and we're going to go into that in just a minute. And it's blowing their minds that everywhere in the universe certain conditions are exactly the same. And they are realizing that everything started with a common source at the same time. That everything that's out there, 30 billion light years from each other, has exactly the same properties that it began at the same time. So the idea here that scientists are beginning to realize is there's one source for this whole thing and it's an instantaneous source. It went one direction, one way, and another direction, another way, all at the same time and with force so that the universe is still expanding. Let me read to you a couple of other quotes from scientists who are having a hard time figuring all of this out. Um, Stephen Hawking, I don't know if any of you know who he is. He's considered the most brilliant scientific mind of our age. He's the one who has Lou Gehrig's disease and, and is in a wheelchair, but he is the guru of the scientific community, or has been. I don't know if he's still alive. He may have died. Uh, here's what he said. Why did the universe start out with so nearly the critical rate of expansion? So that even now, 10,000 million years later, it is still expanding at nearly the critical rate. Here's the critical rate. Here's what he says about it. If the rate of expansion of the universe, this heaved up place, one second after it began, he calls it after the Big Bang, but it's the Big Speak, okay? <laughs> That's the Big Bang is the Big Speak. Uh, if the expansion, the rate of expansion, one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, 
the universe would have collapsed before it ever reached its present state. <coughs> Did you get that figure? If it had been smaller, the rate of expansion, the minute it happened, had been smaller by one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would not exist as we know it. Richard Morris, another scientist, if our universe had been expanding at a rate that was slower by a factor of one part in a million, then the expansion would have stopped 30, 000, when it was 30,000 years old instead of 16 billion. Uh, two astronomers, worlds expanding much faster than the critical rate would almost certainly be devoid of stars and galaxies. They are finding that the, the balance between gravity that pulls things to it and the electromagnetic force that pushes things out has to be exactly the way it is. And it had to be that way at the beginning. It couldn't vary any. In fact, the scientists are saying it has to be perfect for the universe to exist the way it now exists. If it were, if gravity were any stronger, and it's the weakest force in the universe, but if it were any stronger, the universe would have collapsed in on itself, and the galaxies would have clumped into themselves. And if it had been any weaker, the universe would have just kind of unraveled out there. There wouldn't have been galaxies and stars. The scientists are now realizing that this is not possible without a creator. Let me read to you what one scientist said, um, if I can find it. Alan Sandage, who is today's foremost astronomer. He said, we can't understand the universe in any clear way without the supernatural. So we have these Hebrew words that suggest to us the possibility of an amazing universe created uh, obviously by God, but also created for God. And um, the thing that's been the final clincher for the scientific community in this Big Bang Theory, <laughs> that the, the scientists who, who first understood the Big Bang said, oh man, this is taking us to a creator. I'm steering clear of that. They are being pulled to this because there's no other explanation for things. So there was a prediction coming out of um, Einstein's theory of relativity and some other scientists that said, um, if there was this Big Bang with all this heat, then there will be a residual uh, tracing of that that's out there in the universe that we should be able to find. Because there's no place for that heat to go. You know, if we have an oven that's at 400 degrees, we open the, the door and eventually the heat will seep out. But with the universe, there's no place for the heat to go. It's contained in this vast 15 billion light year place. But they said we should be able to find it. And so scientists began thinking, yeah, we can, so we're going to look for this. And so there were two scientists from Bell Laboratories, Small Bell, that were not looking for it at all, but they had developed a very hypersensitive uh, um, radio microwave 
measuring device, radio device, that was designed to measure faint microwaves in the galaxy. And they started taking it out, and they began to hear this faint hissing sound. And, and one of the several of the scientists said, this should no longer be registered as uh, light, which is what it originally was, was light. And remember, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. It just appeared. He said, it, it should no longer be registered as light, but it should be registered as a remnant microwave or as a temperature that should be between 3 and 5 degrees Kelvin, which is 3 and 5 degrees above absolute zero. So if we can find a temperature out there in the universe, uh, our microwave that's registered as a temperature out there in the universe, that will give us evidence or proof that there was this Big Bang. So these two scientists were testing this um, instrument, this radio receiving antenna that's very sensitive that they created. Um, for the purpose of uh, uh, Bell Telephone. And they go out at night and, and they kept hearing this faint hissing sound. And they thought, okay. They climbed up on top of this big huge antenna that they had because they thought maybe birds had landed on the antenna and there were bird droppings on the antenna. And so they cleaned off the bird droppings and sure enough the radio, um, uh, the, radio uh, the microwave registered a little bit lower, so they thought, okay, that's what it is. For over a year, they kept trying to figure out what is this, this hissing sound that's just background hissing. And they started pointing it, and they pointed it everywhere in the universe. They pointed it toward the horizon because they knew that if it had to do with the planet, if they did it toward the horizon, it would be a different registry than straight up. Not, not different, same. If they pointed it in, a, in one place when it was summer and they waited six months till the earth got on the opposite side of the, the sun and they, they still had that hissing sound and they knew it wasn't in the galaxy. Well, lo and behold, hissing sound continued. It didn't matter what time of the night or day. It didn't matter what time of the year. That hissing sound that registered three degrees Kelvin <clears throat> on an instrument that had been reduced down to almost absolute zero so there wouldn't be any distortions of it it continued to register. And finally, they made their, their findings known as the belief that maybe they had discovered this microwave temperature that harkened back to the Big Bang because it was three degrees. It was exactly in the range that it had been predicted. They got the Nobel Prize that year for that discovery. And other people started testing it with their own instruments, and they all found the same thing. And they realized it was, it was a light energy or a heat energy that was everywhere in the universe at the same time. Everywhere the same. Whether it was 16 billion light years this way or 16 billion light years this, this way. 30 billion light years across, and the temperature registered the same the temperature that reflected the light at the beginning and the heat at the beginning. And that's when they realized that there was an instantaneous creative moment in which everything in the universe connected and was together in one spot at one time. 
And the astronomer George Smoot said it was like looking at the face of God because he realized. He said, if you're religious, this is God. One person said, okay, well, there have to be ripples here because if there aren't ripples in this, if it's, if it's static, then the universe is, can't expand. It's got to be stationary and everything has to be even, but they're finding that everything is not even. And so they started looking for ripples. And George Smoot developed this amazing machine and he finally detected faint ripples in this microwave temperature. And again, he said, uh, and, and it, it was called by Stephen Hawking as the greatest discovery of the 20th century, and it may be the greatest discovery of all time because it confirmed the Big Bang, it, because the ripples had to be there in order for the galaxies to come together and form. It had to have fluctuation in it for everything to come together and form as it has. So we have these scientists now that have realized there was a creative moment and it came from one source and it exists evenly throughout the entire universe no matter where you turn and so scientists are going by the hundreds if not thousands to believe in a creator they may not be Christians some of them are some of them have become Christians but they believe now that it there was a creative event I want to just take you briefly through, um, I don't know if we need to, can you all see this okay? I, I have a lot here and I, I know that we, we're almost at our hour, we've got 10 minutes here, so I'm going to try to zoom through this in 10 minutes. I haven't had a time to go over it, I, this is something I did three years ago and I've had to delete a lot so that we have a 10 minute presentation here. But this is the idea of um, our solar system. Well, I don't have a red. There it is. Our solar system is right here. This space here represents one light year, six trillion miles. The nearest star is four and a half light years away. Look at how far away the others. Remember that six trillion times. 10 light years. We can look out into the galaxies and see all these stars, but there is so much more space between those stars than there are stars. And that's the other thing scientists have realized, that there has to be exactly the right amount of mass in the universe to make sure that the universe holds together. And, and they're discovering black matter, which we'll get into in a minute, but notice how spaced out everything is here. 24 trillion miles is our nearest neighbor. Here's our galaxy. One million light years is what this represents. The nearest galaxy is Andromeda. Look how far away it is. Over a million light years away. This is Andromeda. A spiral galaxy just like ours. We are, our plan, our solar system is somewhere out on the uh, outer arm of our spiral Milky Way galaxy. So it would be equivalent to about right in here. And this is a spiral galaxy on edge, just turned sideways. 
going out from uh, our solar system, we have the Trifid Nebula. We have a lot of gases that are in the universe uh, that ha are birthing places for stars. <coughs> this is the Crab Nebula, and this is the Eagle Nebula, and in the Eagle uh, Nebula are these amazing hydrogen pillars. These are 7,000 light years away from us. And uh, they, they are birthing places for stars up in this area. See all the light is coming from the stars that are hidden inside these giant hydrogen pillars. Here is Orion, if you can make sense of Orion, the bright stars with the belt and the sword hanging down. See this right here? That's not a star, that's a nebula. And in this nebula, as you get closer and as the uh, photographs are blown up, you find that there is another nebula called the Horsehead Nebula. That's in Orion's belt. We're going out now um, about 10,000 light years from our solar system. Here is the uh, Ring or, or Owl Nebula, and this in the center is the remains of a collapsed star. In 1054, there was this great bright star that appeared in the sky even during the day for weeks and weeks, and then it just suddenly went away. And this is the remains of it. It collapsed and has left this ring uh, around it. So you can see that with a fairly small telescope uh, at night. I think Lou Adams, you showed it to me one night, just found it just like that. In our galaxy are star clusters. They're not galaxies, but they're collections of stars that, that come together toward a center. And then there are other things that are exploding. They don't quite know what this is, but it is exploding and is creating stars all around the rim of it in our galaxy. This is called the Sombrero Galaxy. This is outside now, our galaxy, the Sombrero which has a great fiery mass with a ring of star-creating material around it. We are now outside our galaxy. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years long and it's 80,000 light years wide and now we are outside of it. And we're finding outside our galaxy that there are clusters of galaxies that these two, and, and many uh, they're finding, are in relationship with each other, uh, sort of orbiting each other. Uh, and I meant to take this one out because uh, it's just uh, irrelevant to this, but here are some that are colliding. These are two galaxies. Here's a spiral galaxy, and here's an elliptical galaxy, and they are colliding. This elliptical galaxy is going into the center of the spiral galaxy. It's a very violent universe out there. Look at this spiral galaxy. What's happening here? Why is that trailing off here instead of going straight like this? Because here's another galaxy that's colliding with it and pushing its arm out. Here are other galaxies that are colliding and it pushes great materials of gas out as they come close to each other. This is called the Tadpole Galaxy, and it's doing the same thing. There is a hidden galaxy up in here that's colliding with it, so it's shooting all of, a lot of the, the uh, starlight material out from it. Notice a lot of these others, these are galaxies. 
A lot of these oval-shaped uh, items are galaxies. Now, we're finding this is not that far distant from us, but see these three galaxies interacting together? The farther you go out into deep space, the more the galaxies are clustered together like this. Look at this. At least three, actually four. Here's one, two, three, four. Coming together in sort of a dance. Look at these galaxies. Look at that, spiral galaxy. They're all together in some sort of an arrangement. This is called the minuet. There are five galaxies here in a type of dance with each other. And these are other galaxies out in here. This is deep space. This is billions of light years deep as the um, Hubble Space Telescope is photographing these pictures. Now I want to show you something. This is what a kind of a diffuse spiral galaxy normally looks like. It's not fully formed yet here. It's one that's being formed. Here's one that's more precisely formed. Notice the, the smoothness uh, of the center part here. Well, they're finding a bunch of galaxies that have a very bright center, and most of these galaxies are very deep in the universe. Some of them are not, but most of these that have this very bright center, see there? And there are called Seifert galaxies, and they're very far distant, and most of them, though not all, have a quasar at the center of the galaxy. Now this is called the um, Whirlpool Galaxy, and we're going to get to it. It's only about 35 million light years from us. Uh, the others are farther that I just showed you, but we're going to get back to the Whirlpool Galaxy in a minute. But here's one, clearly, that has a quasar in it. Now a quasar is the most powerful radio source in the universe. And when it's not a part of the center of a galaxy, when it stands alone, uh, and I'll show you some that stand alone, they are about, this, about one trillionth the size of a regular galaxy. The center is. And yet they send out more energy than a hundred galaxies do. And they are finding the single, this part, not the galaxy part, but this single quasar scattered all throughout the universe at about 15 and 12 billion light years at the very, uh, they call, the scientists call it bonfires on the shores of time. They are at the farthest object we can find in the universe and they're the most powerful radio emitter and they're one of the smallest articles in the universe. So let's look at the Hubble deep space photographs what they did with the Hubble telescope several years ago in the late 90s is that they took a dark patch of sky where there, no telescopes could see anything. It was just black. And they trained this Hubble uh, telescope on this black patch of, of um, sky. And they left it on that patch of sky for around 14 days, giving a time-lapse series of photos. So in this place that no telescope had ever been able to detect anything, here's what the Hubble deep space photographs show. 
10 million galaxies. 10 million galaxies in a place that had no light. All of these green circles are galaxies. Uh, many that are not circled, obviously, are galaxies. You can tell by the shape of them. 10 million. Looking way back into time. Here's just another portion of it. Almost everything you see here are galaxies that have about 200 billion stars in them. Okay? Each galaxy. Now, I want to show you what the progression looks like from present day back to 12 billion years in these pictures of the universe. This is what an elliptical galaxy looks like today, uh, present day, just you know, a few million light years or away from us. Six billion light years away, this is what it looks like. Uh, one that is six billion light years away from us. One that is 10 billion. This is an elliptical galaxy, but notice how it's being diffused. It doesn't have near, it's not nearly as compact. It's, it's more um, immature in its development. 12 billion light years away. Decided difference. What they're seeing 12 billion light years ago and now is completely different. These galaxies are all smaller. Some of them are clearly defined, but many of them are not. Many of them are sort of like this. Here is the progression. Present day, 6, 10, 12. So you can see the difference in what they're discovering out on the edge of the universe. Here's a spiral galaxy today. Here's a spiral galaxy, six billion light years away. Notice how ill-defined it is. A lot of them are that way. They're not well-defined. They're like embryonic galaxies. 10 billion light years away. Look at how poorly defined it is. So they're realizing that these galaxies from way back then are not exactly the same as they are now. That God trained them up as the, Greek, the Hebrew word says. He's training the universe up. And here's one that's 12 billion light years away. It's, um, uh, it's just, you can barely make out that it's a spiral galaxy. There's the progression. Now here's one that's much smaller but very clearly defined. So there are some that are clearly defined out there, but many of them are not. Now here are these very distant Seaford galaxies that have at the center of them clearly quasars. These bright objects that are on the very edge of the universe as we now know it. And they found this object with something spewing out on the top and the bottom of it and they took a time-lapse photo of this and here's what it came up with. There is a black hole here, and when there is a black hole at the center of a galaxy, when the matter goes into it, it spews light out. So you will have these kinds of photographs throughout the universe, where there is a black hole in the center of this galaxy, and when the matter goes into it, it spews light out. Look at that one. Now, they, some scientists are thinking that if you turn this galaxy up facing us so that this is directly in line with our eyesight, directly shining like a flashlight in our eyes. 
that that may be what the quasars are, that they're the opposite end of a black hole. Now here is a lone quasar. And here's how it looks in, in the mix of the rest of the universe. And it emits the most powerful uh, radio, uh, radiation, microwave activity of anything in the universe, these quasars do. Now here's a quasar. And they have found with this quasar that something very unusual has happened. This is called by the scientist Einstein's cross. So way out there in the universe, God has left his fingerprints. There is an object, it, this is one object, even though you see four out beside the center one. There is an object this side of the quasar that is dark, that bends the light. It's called a gravitational lens. It bends the light and it creates, it reproduces images. So there's only one image here, but this object, this side of it, that's bending the light, is bending it into four extra images, creating Einstein's cross. And they're realizing they're finding these dark matter objects that don't reflect light, you can't see them, but they're bending the light. See in here, this is light that's been bent. And you have duplicated objects here. Those are not all objects, they are gravitational lens reflections. Here is another one, see that gravitational that lens where the light is bent and it reproduces kind of a, 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 a copy, not exactly a copy, but a close to a copy of some of the objects, duplications. So we have this God who um, strolled across the endless night and he scooped up a handful of his light nature and he cast it across the void and the universe itself was formed. We have this God who strolled in the darkness and his light nature trailed off in a milky way behind him. We have this God who from his own being breathed and spoke fire and wind and light into the endless night. And while he was doing that, he left something of himself behind. He left signs that he was here, signs of who he is. Clues for some distant earthbound voyager who could peer through a glass back into time itself and suddenly see that God had already come this way before. I want you to look at the Whirlpool Galaxy. In the center of this Whirlpool Galaxy, if you blow it up and you come in closer and closer, toward the eye of this galaxy, you begin to see, and I don't know if you can see it here on, on the computer, you can, but there's kind of a darkness right in here. There's a black hole at the center of this galaxy. Now, black hole is so gravitationally powerful that it doesn't let light out, and it draws everything to it and destroys it. 
It's a picture for you and me of the black hole of sin in our own lives and the black hole of sin in the world. It does not let, sin does not let light out. Sin draws everything to itself. Well, look what God has planted for us distant earthbound voyagers here in the 21st century to see his calling card telling us that he has come this way before us. The shape of that black hole is a cross. At the center of the black hole of the world, God erected a cross and said, here's my answer to sin. Here's my answer to the black hole that you're in the grip of. And out there 35 million light years away, that's been there all along, just waiting for you and me to find a picture of it, is the cross. Letting us distant voyagers know who he is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the glory and the majesty of what you have done and who you are. And thank you that you remind us, that you give us these reminders, even out there where no one has been before. You give us these reminders of who you are. We praise you and we thank you. Amen and amen. Uh, take a break. And I have a couple more PowerPoint. Um, I meant to end last time with a quote. You know, I had quoted uh, Robert Jastrow, and um, he talked about this fire that's beyond human imagination that it all came from. I just want to read to you uh, another quote of his. And, um, I mean, he is one of the leading scientists and... Um, agnostics uh, in the scientific community and pardon me well he probably is now but he wasn't at at one point yeah <laughs> at least according to the books I've read they have agnostic uh, by him but that was you know many years ago but I think he's probably changed because you look at this quote um, or the book is wrong one of the two because I <laughs> He says, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> uh, we are just finding that the, the science, uh, scientific community is certainly on its ear and realizing um, that a super intellect has tinkered with the universe, as one of the scientists said. Fred Hoyle said that. Uh, so I want us to look and just sort of introduce